We're in John chapter 18. So turn to John chapter 18. And there is a lot. This is first service. I taught for an hour. I'm going to try so hard not to teach for an hour. I feel like I've just set you guys up for like being super stressed out about me teaching super long today. But that'll put pressure on me to not teach as long. Um, There's a lot of good stuff in here, though, in John chapter 18. So I'm excited. And I just want to say to you guys, I know some of you guys are here because your parents forced you to be here. And I'm blessed you're here. That's good. Um, Glad your parents like the fact that you're in church. But I also realize some of you guys don't have to be here. And you actually ask your parents to bring you here. And that's super encouraging for me as a pastor. And um, it's a blessing to see uh, some of the same faces every week. To know that you guys have been following along. And um, you're not just randomly showing up a bunch of times. But you actually kind of know what's going on in the Gospel of John. Um, That's really encouraging to me. So I thank you guys for for coming. It's a blessing to me. Um, and to my wife, and to the counselors, and so we thank you for that, guys. Um, I'm going to pray, and let's just get right into it. Dear Lord, Jesus, you are our master. We follow you, God. We're so thankful that you love us, even though we make mistakes. We thank you that you love us, even though at times we're failures, God. And I just pray today you would speak to the hearts of these kids, every single one of them, I pray right now they'd open up their hearts and their ears and their minds to what you have to say. Not what I have to say, God, but I pray that your word would just speak through me. Um, Use me, God, I pray. Um, Even if someone here is tired or doesn't necessarily want to be here, Lord, I pray you would still speak to them. Even if it's just a little bit, help us, Lord, to hear your word and receive it now. In your name, amen. Okay, so I'm going to move fast through this. I lately have been thinking about baby names. Just kidding. She's not pregnant. I've been thinking about baby names because my friends are having babies. That's the only reason. We're not pregnant. Well, I especially am not pregnant, but she's definitely not. Um, But a lot of my friends have been having kids, and they've got these cute babies, or they're going to have babies, and there's all these baby names. I'm like, oh, babies are cute. I like baby names. But when I think of baby names, like when I think about when I'm eventually going to have a kid, which is probably in the far, far distant future, I would not name that kid Judas. I just wouldn't. I wouldn't name it Jezebel. I wouldn't name it Judas. I definitely wouldn't name it Lucifer. Um, I'm not going to name my kid Judas. Why? It's because Judas is known throughout history as this backstabbing, murderous creep. In fact, you know, when you look at the disciples and the pictures of, you know, the way people paint them and draw them, uh, Peter is always this big, like, handsome fisherman guy with a giant beard. Judas is always this, like, skinny, like, balding guy holding a bag of money in the corner going like this. Like, I don't think he necessarily looked like a creeper. Like, he was on the inside, like a horrible, you know, like mean, you know, greedy guy. But, you know, I I, I think we can give him a little bit of credit there. Um, Now, today we're going to be looking at Peter and Judas, a hero of the faith and a villain of the faith. And I have to say, I have to introduce this with, you know, talking about Judas. we, we, We commonly paint the picture of, oh, Judas is this terrible creep. And he was always a creep from the very start. And he was just a horrible, terrible, nasty guy. But I think he kind of gets a little bit of a bad rap. And what I mean by that is not necessarily to say he was a hero at all. He was not. But Judas, I don't hate him. I just feel sorry for him. He had a tragic life. He made a tragic mistake. And I think the important thing is when we look at Judas, we need to realize that the mistakes he made are ones that we as disciples of Jesus could have easily made as well. Judas's story is a warning story and we need to pay attention to it, I believe. So I want to talk to you guys today about Judas and Peter. And before we even get into John chapter 18, I want to just set up for you, if you haven't been following us in John, or even if you haven't, just you have a really short-term memory like me, who exactly these guys are. So the first thing we need to understand is Judas and Peter were both called by Jesus. Let's start with Peter. Peter is one of the first disciples who gets called. Jesus is about 30 years old and he's been living in his town just being a normal dude. He has been studying the Bible, going to church. He's been hanging out with other people. He's a carpenter. He's been building bookshelves. He's been fixing people's houses. Like, I don't know if you guys understand, Jesus was a normal guy who lived in a normal town who did normal, boring stuff. Jesus went grocery shopping. Jesus went to church. Like, Jesus had a life, and he was building shelves, and God calls him and says, all right, Jesus, my son, it is time for you to finally go out and tell the world who you really are. So Jesus is like, I am got to be on a mission 
I got to be like Robin Hood and get a band of merry men. And they're going to join me on my quest to spread truth about God and his son, which is me. So Jesus starts cruising around and he goes down to the fishing area. He goes down to like the docks where the fishermen are. And he starts hanging out with these fishermen. And he sees Peter and Andrew. And he starts talking to Peter and Andrew. And he goes, hey, Peter, I like you, man. You're like a rock, man. You're solid. You're awesome. You're cool, Peter. Peter's like, oh, this, this guy's cool. And eventually Andrew says to Peter, this Jesus guy's incredible. He's been coming down. He's been teaching little Bible studies. Like, I have this feeling that he's the Messiah, the one who's going to lead us to freedom. We've got we've to, like, get closer to this guy. And eventually Jesus comes down. Well, Peter's fishing and Andrew, and he says, hey, Peter, I want to use your boat. So Peter goes, all right, you know, Jesus seems like a pretty cool guy. All right, you can use my boat. So Jesus goes out on the boat, and he starts teaching people from the boat. And when he's done, he goes, Peter's like, oh, that was a great Bible study, Jesus. That was awesome. And Jesus goes, yeah, it was. Hey, Peter, let's go fishing. And Peter, that's his job. Peter is a fisherman. He is, like, that's all he's about. He lives, sleeps, eats, breathes fish. Gross, right? Anyway, he is a fisherman guy. Now, I know some of you guys are really good at certain things. Like, maybe some of you guys, who's really good at basketball? Anybody? What are you guys good at? Football. 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 All right, volleyball. Now, see, I am the most unathletic person you know. So let's say I go up to you, a football player or a volleyball player, and I'm like, hey, guys, you should totally, like, take that football and, like, you could, like, you know, like, dunk it in the hoop, man. You'd be like, what are you talking about? And like, hey, man, you should take that volleyball and, like, you know, like, just shoot it into, like, the net and make, like, a touchdown. You'd be like, ugh. I, you'd be like, I am a football player, Aaron. You do not know what you're talking about. Just stand back. Let me do my job. Or, hey, I'm a volleyball player, Aaron. Like, you're crazy. Like, I've seen you. I, you, you can barely run. You walk at like one mile an hour. Like you, you can't like, d- d- you know, that's, that's what Peter's thinking. He's like, Jesus, Jesus is kind of like a nerd. He's like a scholar, pastor. Like he teaches great Bible studies, but Jesus is not a fisher. So G- Peter says, Jesus, trust me, I'm a fisher. I own a fishing company. I have been fishing all day. We have not caught a single fish. The fish are just not biting today. And Jesus goes, dude, trust me. Just let out the nets. It'll be awesome. So Peter's like, Jesus is such a nice guy. I'm going to humor him. I'll let down a net. I'll let down one net. And Jesus is like, well, you should let down all the nets. And Peter's like, yeah, okay, Jesus, I'll let down a net. He throws down a net. Through the power of Jesus Christ, all the fish in the sea are like, whoosh. And they go into that net, and Peter's like, oh! And he, like, starts pulling out the net. He's like, I need more people. And all these, like, fishermen are, like, grabbing this net, like, oh, my gosh, this is a year's worth of fish. And Jesus is like, "Uh uh-huh, told you so. I'm God. You're not. Bam. And that's kind of like the beginning of the relationship of Jesus and Peter. Peter is just, he's, it's brought to his attention how powerful Jesus is. And the next time Jesus is cruising down by the water, he sees Peter and Andrew, and he says, hey, guys, Leave your fishing business. Follow me. We're going to go fish for men. And Peter and Andrew drop their nets, leave their business, leave their family, leave their home, and begin to follow Jesus Christ. That's the beginning of the journey of the disciples. They, Jesus makes a relationship with these guys. He reveals himself to these guys as the all-powerful one. And they realize there's something special about this guy. We have to follow him. And so they begin this journey of a lifetime following Jesus as his disciples. It's the same call all of you guys have. Jesus calls you, be my disciple. I want to make you fishers of men. And that's why I love studying the disciples, because they're on the same journey that we are. Now, Judas is one who isn't, he doesn't necessarily have a huge backstory. There's a couple disciples, probably about four or five of them, who have this big backstory. Then there's a bunch of the other ones who it's just, they're just listed as, you know, they were called. And if, it's interesting, if you look at the list, it's like all the 11 disciples are listed. And then it's like, it's like Peter, he was called, he was great. Andrew was called, he was great. This guy was called, this guy, they were all great. And Judas is a jerk and we're putting him last. That's pretty much how it works. He's always listed last. And if you read the gospels, you'll see that the disciples didn't really care for Judas that much. He's always like, there's all these little notes like, yeah, Judas was always a jerk. Yeah, we didn't like him. Like you can tell they didn't like him. And it's for good reason. He ends up stabbing Jesus in the back. And you know, if you're writing a 
book about the guy who your leader is, you're probably not going to write too favorably, favorably about the guy who stabs your leader in the back. So they didn't really like Judas that much in the end. He's listed last. But the point I want to make to you guys is Judas still was called. He still was chosen by Jesus. Jesus still gave Judas a chance even though he knew Judas was a sinner. Now get this, Jesus is God coming down from earth. He's coming to start this work of freedom, this mission of saving mankind. He doesn't go for the best people on earth. He doesn't look for like the priests or the most spiritual or the most holy or the most sin-free. He goes down by the docks and gets these sweaty, big, hairy, swearing fishers. He gets tax collectors. He gets political rebels, all these crazy people. And he calls them to his mission. Judas was a sinner. Peter was a sinner. Jesus still called them. It's an amazing encouragement to us to know that even though we're sinners, even though we're not perfect, Jesus still calls us to his mission. He still gives us a chance. Now think of the privilege given to these two guys, Judas and Peter. What an amazing privilege to be able to spend time with Jesus Christ. That's amazing. For me, when I was in junior high, I always enjoyed, and in high school, I enjoyed being discipled. What that means, discipleship, some of you guys have been discipled through this junior high ministry. Some of you guys haven't. If you want to be, let us know. We'll make it work. We have counselors who would love to disciple you. Discipleship is basically just getting together with a leader, either in a group or one-on-one, and talking about Jesus and learning about Jesus together. It's one of the best things I ever did. When I was in junior high, I remember I used to meet with the junior high pastor. Evan Wickham. I was actually discipled by Jason Yetz. He was this big, friendly, beardy, awesome guy who was the assistant to Evan back then. Um, he painted the Dunkin' Donuts logo on that wall back there that Trevor O'Keefe painted over because Dunkin' Donuts, lame. I agree. Anyway, um, it was awesome back when we were kids, though. And um, I used to meet with Jason Yetz, and I'd go to his house, and we'd play video games, and his wife would make us little sandwiches, and then we'd talk about Jesus, and it was the best thing ever, and I loved it. It was so encouraging. Well, think about the privilege. Judas and Peter get discipled by Jesus, like the guy who all the other people who are discipling are trying to teach you about. Jesus was there to teach him about himself. That is amazing. It was such a privilege for both these guys. Jesus loved both these guys. Even though they spent their time with Jesus, both men made mistakes. We need to realize that both men failed Jesus. I want you to understand the failures of both these men so we can see the full picture of this story. So we'll start with Peter. Peter failed Jesus several, several, several times. There was one circumstance where Jesus was telling the disciples, guys, I'm going to die. And he was trying to tell them that I'm going to raise from the dead. I'm going to bring life to everybody. But Peter interrupts him and he's like, no way, Jesus, you're not going to die. That can't happen. We can't let that happen. Like, no way. Jesus, stop saying those things. You're confusing everybody. You need to be talking about overthrowing the Romans. You need to be talking about like life. Don't talk about death, Jesus. And Jesus goes, get behind me, Satan, you satanic Satan person. Like, he's like, you are Satan, Peter. Poor Peter. Like, Jesus is like, you're Satan. Like, that's got to hurt. The reason he said that was he was trying to tell Peter, when you, like, you failed, Peter, to trust God in your life. You failed, Peter, because you, God has said his word. I've said God's word. I'm God. I'm Jesus. And you don't have faith in it. Like, just because I say I'm going to die, like, you don't have faith that I'm going to make things better in the end? You don't have faith to trust me with my will? You speak against my will, Peter. When you do that, you're letting Satan work through you, is what he was saying. And that's the way Peter failed. He was unwilling to accept God's will. Judas failed Jesus. Judas, God, Jesus, he trusted Judas. He said, Judas, I'm going to make you the treasurer of our group. I'm going to make you the one who handles the money. So when Jesus would go around, the disciples and Jesus were basically homeless and they had to live off the charity of other people. So when Jesus would go around, Jesus wasn't like a for-profit ministry. It wasn't like, yeah, if you want to see Jesus, if you want healing, just pay 20 bucks. That's not the way it worked. Jesus basically like he, people donated to Jesus. So when Jesus was out cruising around, sometimes people would give him, you know, here's a couple bucks so you and your disciples can get some bagels. Or here's a couple bucks so you guys can buy some fish. Or here's a couple bucks so you can stay in an inn. And that's basically how it worked. Well, Judas was the one who handled all the money. And 
at this, at, while that was all happening, basically Judas was taking money from Jesus. When money was donated to Jesus, Judas was taking it out going, I'm going to keep some of this for myself. And I think this is not in the Bible. This is just me speculating. So take it as you will. But I think Jesus, or I think Judas, the reason he was doing this, the reason he was taking out money is I think he didn't have trust in God. I think he was thinking, all right, I gave up everything to follow Jesus. I put my trust in Jesus. I left my family. I left my work. I'm basically a homeless person. What if this doesn't work out? What if Jesus isn't the Messiah? What if Jesus isn't the one who's called to lead us? What if he's just a normal dude? What if he's a fake? What if he's a phony? I need to take some money to make sure that if something happens to Jesus, I can start my life over again. And so he doesn't have full trust in Jesus, I believe. He's taking this money, I think I can, we can assume, you know, because he wants to make sure he's got a backup plan. And so his failure is he's not putting his full trust in Jesus. His failure is he has this secret sin. He thinks it's hidden. He thinks none of the other disciples know about it, but Jesus knows about it the whole time. Jesus knows everything. And so he's stealing from God. He's stealing from Jesus. And he's hiding it. And guys... A lot of times we have these hidden sins that we keep hidden from everybody. We don't want anyone to know because we're ashamed, because we're, uh, we're just so upset by these sins. But we, we're like, this is too embarrassing. I don't want anyone to know. Or maybe it's the other way around. You're like, haha, no one knows about this. I'm doing things and no one knows I can get away with it. If that's you, you're being like Judas. And I think I can say we've all been that way at times. We've all had secret sins that we've hidden. I would encourage you guys, go to the Lord first about those sins, he already knows about them. So it shouldn't be scary to confess. Just go to the Lord and say, Jesus, I've been messing up. I've been sinning against you and I know it's wrong and I've been trying to hide it. And then ask God to help you to tell your parents about it because they're the people God's put in your life over you right now to help. There's pastors. I mean, I'm around. My wife is around. Um, Scotty, Caleb, Amber, Hannah. We've got all of these counselors. Garrett, Josh, Christian. We've got people you can talk to who can pray for you, you know? You shouldn't have to go through sin alone. We all are sinning. I have people in my life where when I mess up, I go to them and I talk to them about it. And I say, can you pray for me? All pastors should have that. Everyone should have that. All Christians should have that. This isn't just for you kids, it's for us adults. We need to have people we can go to and say, I need help. It's important to have that. I'm not talking about like, all like big, like crazy sins. Like we, we, I think some of us can think of like, oh, big crazy sins we don't want anyone to know about, so we hide. But maybe, maybe you're struggling with pride and you just don't want anyone to know. You've got this prideful heart and you try to look perfect on the outside to everybody, but in the inside you're struggling with pride. Maybe it's lying, deception. You know, maybe sometimes it's like impure thoughts or um, maybe sometimes like, I've known kids where like just random swear words would pop up in their minds at random times, you know, and just stuff like that, like just crazy stuff. And you're like, oh, I'm so ashamed of this sin. Like go to the Lord, ask him for help and go to other people. We're all here to help each other. There's no one here who hasn't sinned. We're all imperfect. That's why we're here to help each other. I encourage you, talk to your parents, have your parents pray with you, but don't keep sin hidden because if you do, it's like keeping fire hidden inside your shirt. Eventually it's going to burn you. Like it, you, you can't hide fire. Fire, it's, it's like sin is fire. It burns. We can't hide it forever. It'll come out. It'll burn us. Peter, he failed Jesus another way. He sank. Jesus is on the water walking. We've all heard that story. The disciples are out in the boat. They're cruising. All of a sudden they see Jesus walking on the water and they go, oh my gosh, it's a ghost and he's going to murder us. Jesus goes, no guys, it's me. I'm here. I'm here to help. I'm here to help you through this storm. And they go, oh my gosh, Jesus is a Jedi. He's walking on the water. This is crazy. This is craziness. And Peter goes, shoot, I want to do that. That looks awesome. And the other disciples are like, Peter, you are dumb. Don't do it. You'll die. But Peter goes, no, I have faith. I have faith in God. And he starts walking on the water. And Jesus goes, yeah, Peter, you're doing it. You're using your faith. You're, you're walking on the water. And Peter's like, yes, this is awesome. Jesus, you're awesome. But then he looks and he's like, oh my goodness, there's a gigantic wave coming. Oh my goodness, there's lightning. Oh my goodness, there's rain. I don't know why he's afraid of rain. But he's like, oh, I, I hate getting wet. I don't know. But he's like, oh, this is crazy. Oh, oh, life is crazy, insane. And he sinks. And that's his failure. Because he, while he had faith in God, he, kept his, he turned his eyes away from Jesus in the middle of a storm. In the middle of the storm, he got wrapped up in the world and he sank. And though he failed, 
Jesus was there to pick him back up. Though he sunk, Jesus was there to say, hey, come on, get back up. Let's keep walking on that water. He failed, but Jesus was there to pick him back up. Judas had another failure. He rejected a sacrifice to Jesus. There's a story of when Jesus was at a Pharisee's house, this rich party, and this woman who's like a dirty, sinful street woman, and she realizes her sin. She goes, oh man, I'm such a sinner. She sees Jesus and she goes, that guy is God. I need to repent. I need to worship him. And so she comes and she brings the only thing she really has, which is this bottle of perfume that's worth so much money. Saving for her wedding day. She has this bottle of perfume and she comes in and dumps it on Jesus' feet and starts wiping up his feet with her hair and worshiping him and saying, Jesus, I love you. I need you. Please forgive me. And it's this beautiful act of worship. Judas is in the corner going, oh my goodness, I cannot believe she did that. We could have sold that and made so much money. What a stupid idiot. And Jesus is like, don't you see that she's worshiping me? Don't you see that's much more valuable than money? Judas is like, I just can't see it. Judas didn't think Jesus was worth worshiping. That was his failure. He spent all this time with Jesus, and yet he didn't see Jesus as someone worth worship. He didn't see Jesus as someone, he he looked at stuff, valuables, like entertainment. He looked at life, the things you can buy with money, as more valuable than spending time with Jesus. More valuable than worshiping Jesus. The other disciples saw the value of worshiping Jesus. Peter saw the value of worshiping Jesus. Judas, he wasn't there yet. At this point, he's just drifting away from Jesus. He's, things are not going the way he expected them to, working out with Jesus. He failed. Peter, we see even more failures. Peter actually has more failures recorded than Judas. Just one of them, there's more than I can even say, but just one of them, Jesus is about to get arrested. Last week, we were in John chapter 17. Jesus is about to get arrested. Jesus says, Peter, I really need your help. Will you, will you pray for me? He says, Peter, I really need your help. Will you pray with me? Peter goes, yes, Jesus, I will pray for you right on. He falls asleep. He falls right asleep. He, like, he lies. He says, I'm just going to get comfortable on this rock. Lies back, falls completely asleep. And What a bummer for Jesus that one of his best friends can't even stay awake to pray for him. Peter was a failure. And for me, it's encouraging because Peter's this big dumb guy like me who fails Jesus like me, perhaps like you. We all fail Jesus, I believe. We can learn from Peter because Peter continues to move forward with this relationship with the Lord. He doesn't give up. You need to realize both people were loved by Jesus. You have to think about this. They were friends with Jesus. Jesus offered them friendship. We see in the Bible that Jesus loved his disciples, that Jesus cared for his disciples. Teaching, he taught them. In today's day, we have access to so many Bible studies. We have access to so many teachers. We hear great Bible studies. I'm not talking about here on Sunday, but I'm talking about when you go home and you hear perhaps maybe you listen to Bible studies online. Or maybe you have Bible studies on your iPod or whatever. Like, there's so many good teachers out there we can listen to all the time. We have so much good Bible teaching. But these guys, Judas, Peter, they had Jesus as their Bible teacher. How amazing is that? He's telling them Bible stories, and he's like, oh, yeah, I remember this one time I was in this fiery furnace helping out Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It was awesome. I remember this one time Daniel got thrown in the lion's den. I, like, jumped in and was, like, wrestling the lions to keep them safe. I'm awesome. Like, Jesus got to tell them all these stories about himself, about God, about his father. They heard from Pastor Jesus. Like, they heard from the ultimate pastor. That is an amazing privilege. They were given power to heal, to raise people from the dead, to, to cast out demons. Judas and, Jesus, or Judas and Peter were both given these powers. Jesus was patient with Peter. Just like he's patient with you. When you make mistakes... Peter made so many mistakes. Jesus was always loving with him, always patient, always taught him. Even though you've sinned, Peter, here's the right way to do things. Jesus didn't kick Judas out of the group. When Judas was stealing, Jesus could have been like, hey, other disciples, Judas is a thief. He's been stealing from us. We're kicking him out. He doesn't do that. He continues to love Judas. He continues to pray for the disciples. He, and we see in the scriptures, in I think two Sundays ago, Jesus was praying for his disciples in the garden, on his knees, praying for them. He looks at Peter when he's about to die, and he says, Peter, I've chosen you. When I die, you need to strengthen your brothers. When I die, Peter, you're going to be the leader. Peter didn't deserve that. 
Peter was a failure. There's really no recordings of John's mistakes. It says that John was this disciple who Jesus was really close to. Jesus could have chosen John. He could have said John is the you know, he's the teacher's pet. He's the one who I love the most. You know, he's the, he's the one who just, you know, does everything perfect. But instead he chose Peter. He said, I choose you, even though you're a failure, I want to use you as, as an example of what God can do through a person who fails, who puts his trust in Jesus. The best example I think of this is when Jesus washes their feet. He's about to die, rewind to, you know, a couple weeks ago. He's up in that upper room with his 12 disciples. He knows he's going to die. And he grabs a washcloth and he starts doing the job of a servant. What, like a lowly servant. He's God. He's the creator of the world. And he's washing dirty, stinky feet. He's washing Peter's feet. He's like, I love you, Peter. And Peter's like, like, how can you, my master, wash my feet? And Jesus is like, Peter, I need to do this. I need to teach you what it means to be a servant. I need to teach you what it means to serve other people. And then he grabs Judas's feet and starts washing Judas's feet. And he says, Judas, I love you. And he knows Judas is going to betray him. He knows Judas is going to stab him in the back. And he loves him still. What amazing love that is. And we see God loved Judas and he loved Peter. Now, I know this is a lot of stuff to get through. And so we're getting close to the part where we're actually going to open up the Bible and read some verses. But I need to set up for you what happened with the betrayal. Because in John chapter 18, did anybody read it? I sent out a little message. Did anybody read it in advance? No? Yes, somebody did. Awesome. Okay, well, I'd encourage you guys to go home and read it tonight on your own and read the whole chapter and get the whole picture of it. But John chapter 18 is about betrayals. It's about people failing Jesus. We start with Judas. See, leading up to this event, Judas has gotten to the point, he's been with Jesus for three years. He's gotten to the point where he's like, this isn't going nowhere. Jesus is going to die. The Pharisees are all the time, these are like the pastors. They're like, Jesus has come in, he's ruined everything, he's teaching about forgiveness and repentance, he's teaching that you can get to heaven, like, without having to go through all these rules and regulations, like, that's, that's wrong, like, we need to kill Jesus, we need to get rid of him, because he's more popular than us, and he's getting all the attention off of us, we need to destroy Jesus, and Judas realizes this, and he goes, Jesus is gonna die, like, I need to get out of here. Like, I need to get out of this situation. This is too crazy for me. So he goes to the chief of priests, and he goes, Pharisees, if, if you give me some money, just a few bucks, give me some money, I'll, I'll tell you where Jesus is. I'll tell you where you can get him. And so they pay him. And it says Judas waited for the right opportunity to trap Jesus. So he's actually with Jesus. Jesus is washing his feet, and Judas is plotting, like, how can I trap Jesus? How can I get him arrested? Because he just wants out of that situation. He's like, I don't want to get arrested with the rest of the disciples. I don't want to die. I want to get out. And so he is plotting and planning. And we don't know why he did it. We don't know why Judas betrayed Jesus. The Bible doesn't necessarily say the exact reason why he betrayed Jesus. But we do know. We do know this. This is a warning to us. Judas was in secret sin. He thought it was hidden. All the while, that sin that he was doing that nobody knew about except Jesus was building this wall in his heart, this wall that was keeping the Holy Spirit out. And guys, when we have hidden sin and we don't tell anybody, we don't tell our parents, we don't tell pastors, we don't talk to God, most importantly, we're building a wall that keeps the Holy Spirit out. And we're just saying, no, no, I'm fine. I'm fine with my sin. I'm okay. I'm going to go to church and that'll be like my church life. And then I've got this secret life at home that no one knows about. And that'll be okay. And I'll keep it secret. And I'll just keep them separate. It's never secret. It's never separate. God knows. And you're building a wall that's keeping the Holy Spirit out. And it's letting Satan in. It really is. It's letting the devil influence your life. It's letting the devil have full access to come and just tempt you and discourage you, bum you out. And this is, what happening, this is what's happening to Judas. He had built up a defense against the Holy Spirit so much that it actually says that Satan was able just to completely control him at that point. He had completely given himself over to the power of Satan. And it's a good warning because, guys, it can happen to any one of us. We're disciples of Jesus. Think about it. Judas was closer to Jesus, like in person, than we've ever been. We've never, we haven't spent three years, like in physical person, hearing Jesus talk to us. 
Jesus speaks through Bible studies, through the word, through worship. Like there's all these ways Jesus speaks to us, but like Judas was with Jesus for three years, hearing his words, spending time with him, receiving his love, receiving his teaching, receiving his blessing. And Judas still betrays him. And my guys, I just want to encourage you and warn you, don't be like Judas. Don't let the enemy build up this wall between you and God. Start tearing down that wall today if you have it. Start asking God. Simply start with God. Start with God. Like, it might be scary to go talk to somebody else about what's going on. Start with God. Say, God, I need your help. I need your forgiveness. I need you to start healing me. And I need you to show me who I need to talk to. Because I need help. In John chapter 18, in verse 1, it says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? Now, I'm pulling things from the other Gospels because you guys know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all tell the same story, but from different perspectives. And so I'm going to tell you what was happening from taking the full picture from all the Gospels. What happens here is Jesus is praying. He knows he's about to get arrested. Judas has a whole army of people walking towards Jesus to arrest Jesus. And Jesus knows this is going to happen. Now, Judas shows up. And he walks over to Jesus, and he greets Jesus with a kiss. Not like a kiss on the mouth, that'd be weird, but a kiss on the cheek. And back then, that was like pretty much like a high five or a handshake, like something you do with a good friend. How horrible for Jesus to get betrayed by one of his best friends. Judas wasn't just some throwaway disciple that Jesus kept around. Like, Judas was a friend of Jesus. Jesus was close to Judas. And Judas comes up and gives him this kiss on the cheek and says, Master, hi, how are you? And Jesus knows what's happening. He knows he's getting betrayed. And he says to Judas, friend, do what you need to do. And that wasn't like some sarcastic, like, hey, friend. He was like, my friend, I know you have something you need to do, so do it. He calls Judas friend. He, was, he isn't like, oh, my enemy, traitor. You know all those like great movies where it's like when someone's like a traitor, there's always someone who's like traitor. Like there's always someone who yells it out. It's always like this big deal. Jesus responds in love to a traitor, to someone who fails him. He says, hello, friend. Do you guys know even when you fail Jesus, he calls you friend? Do you guys know even when you mess up and betray Jesus, he calls you friend? He loves you. He really does. Now, Peter our other character in this story, Peter, sitting there with Jesus. He's probably like waking up because he's been sleeping. He's like, what's going on? And he looks and sees this army. And he's like, oh, there's all these, oh. And the best part about this story is, well, not the best, but like the funniest part is <laughs> there's like all these people with swords and torches. And then there's like this poor college intern, like off to the side who's like, I'm just here for class credits. And <laughs> like this skinny little kid. And Peter's like, oh, I got to defend Jesus. You. And he like runs over to like this poor kid who probably doesn't even have a sword and like hacks at his ear. Yeah, like this guy's lucky because Peter's probably going for his face and he's probably just a bad swordsman and like hits the guy's ear and chops it off. Like Peter's just a moron. He's always acting before thinking. There's like 600 guys and like he thinks the best he can do is like attacking this poor stinking college intern. Now Jesus, the best thing about this is Jesus is like, Peter, he who lives by the sword dies by the sword. Put your sword away, Peter. You're embarrassing me. Love, peace. We need to not be violent. It's all about love and forgiveness and peace. And he goes over and grabs that guy's ear and like magically puts it back on. Now, this is great. Great. Just side note on Jesus. Even though Jesus is being attacked and um, just arrested, he still cares about other people. If I'm getting attacked and arrested, like I don't care about healing some guy's ear. I care about me. Jesus is like, I need to heal this guy. He's still a healing Jesus. He's still a merciful, kind Jesus. He's the great thing about Jesus is his character never changes. He's consistent. Even though our character changes, Peter, Judas, they all change. Jesus stayed the same. And so Jesus heals that guy's ear. Judas then takes Jesus, and with the Pharisees and the soldiers, they take Jesus away. And they take him to the home of the high priest. The high priest, they, they begin this illegal trial. It's totally illegal. 
it's totally like they were not going through the right channels. It was this completely like backwoods, hillbilly, like fake trial. It was all these people who hated Jesus. They had fake witnesses, all the like people who were lying on the stand. It was this total setup rig trial so they could just get Jesus executed. They just wanted to kill him and they just wanted to say they had a trial. So they put together this fake trial. Well, Peter goes to the house of the high priest and he's hanging outside the door and he's listening because he's concerned about Jesus. He wants to know what happens to Jesus. Now we got to back up with Peter. On the night before Jesus was betrayed, he's with his disciples and he tells them because he knows what Judas is about to do. He says to the disciples, one of you is going to betray me. And all the disciples go, no, Lord, not I. It couldn't be me. But Peter is by far the the most vocal about this. He goes, Lord, I would never, ever betray you. Even though these other disciples are losers and stupid, even though they're going to leave you, even though they'll probably betray you, I will never betray you. I will never deny you. I would die for you, Jesus. And all the other disciples are like, yes, yes, yes. It's awesome, Peter. You're awesome. Like, Peter's so strong. Peter's so brave. And Jesus just looks at Peter and says, Peter, I know in your heart that's what you want to do. But before you hear the rooster crow tonight, you will have denied me three times. And Peter's just like, no way, Jesus. No way. That would never happen. Fast forward to where we are now. Peter's waiting outside the door and Jesus is getting tried. They're yelling at Jesus, they're cursing him, and he just, he can't do anything. And he's, he's hiding, he's wearing a cloak, and he's keeping himself just hidden. He wants to just keep a low profile, and he's just hanging outside the door trying to listen and hear what's going on with Jesus. Well, what happens is this little servant girl, basically this little junior high girl, a little sixth grader, walks up and says, Hey, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? And he goes, No! 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 Not me. What are you talking about? You're stupid. (laughs) She's like, all right, fine, weirdo. Walks away. And then she comes back a little bit later and goes, hey, weren't you one of Jesus' disciples? I'm pretty sure you were. And he goes, no. No, you stupid kid. No. It's not me. And the reason is he's worried. He's scared. He's scared of a little junior high girl. Now, some of you guys, some of you junior high girls are probably like, yeah, we are junior high girls. Hear us roar. I don't know. Like, (laughs) big fishermen are scared of us. Yeah. Don't go down to the docks and try to scare fishermen, okay? It'll just be weird and creepy. Anyway, um, but basically, Peter's scared because he doesn't want to be found out. He doesn't want to be found out as one of Jesus' disciples because he's afraid that they'll crucify him, too. He's afraid they'll kill him, too. And so he's scared. And he's not even thinking about what Jesus said to him about denying it. He's not even thinking. And so one final time, he's listening, and in there, he can hear Jesus start to get beaten. The priest, Jesus is just answering their questions. He's, they're asking questions, and he's just answering truthfully. And the priest walks over and smacks Jesus in the face and goes, how dare you speak to us in such a way? They start beating Jesus, and Peter's sitting there, and he's like, oh my gosh, like, what do I do? Jesus is like, I want to do something. Oh, this is so crazy and scary, but I'm scared of getting caught. And once again, he gets asked, by a relative of someone who got, the guy who got his ear cut off, like his cousin, like, hey, aren't you the guy who cut off my cousin's ear? Weren't you with Jesus? And Peter starts swearing. He's like, no, beep, 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 no, no, beep, beep. Uh, And he's like, oh, and he starts denying Jesus. It actually says, he swears. He's like, no, it's not me, beep. And when he does that, he hears the rooster crow. Exactly, he hears it. And I can't imagine what was going through his head at that moment, but I'm sure the words of Jesus came back to him. Before you hear the rooster crow, you will deny me three times. And in the Gospel of Mark, it says that Peter wept bitterly. He starts crying and weeping because he realizes he failed his master. When Jesus needed him most, this is his best friend. Jesus has just been betrayed by one of his other best friends, Judas. He's just been, all the other disciples left him. They ran away because they were scared of getting arrested. They ran, and the only person left, Judas was the only one who could have helped Jesus, who could have prayed for him, who could have been there for him, who could have stood up for him, and he denies him three times. And guys, it is so hard to see for us but it's so true for us to look at Peter and see what we can learn and this is Peter the example right he's the one Jesus chose to be the leader of the church after he dies Peter's the one who we look at as Christians we go he was the best disciple he was the one he was the first one to call Jesus the Messiah he was the first one to say Jesus is God 
and yet he fails him. Jesus knew. He knew, though. Jesus knew that Peter was going to fail him. He knew that Peter was going to mess up. And you know what? He knew that Judas was going to mess up. He really did. And you need to understand that Jesus knows when you're going to mess up. He knows everything you've ever done in the past. He knows what you're going to do in the future. He knows all your sins. And you need to realize, my friends, that he paid for those sins. On the cross, he died and he paid for those sins when he died. So what are you, as Christians, going to do with that knowledge? We need to look at what Judas and Peter did. Because one is a great example and the other one is a great warning. Peter, he mourns for his sins. The Bible says, blessed are those who mourn. And I promise I'm almost done. This is the conclusion. Peter mourned for his sins. He realized what he did was wrong. He cried. He wept. He was broken inside. He realized that he wronged Jesus. And he repented. He goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I've messed up. I need your help. I repent. Please help me to keep following you. And we see in this that Peter fully understood the message of Jesus Christ, which is repent, turn from your sins, and follow me. Which is, I've died for your sins. I've forgiven your sins. Your sins don't matter anymore. Even though you mess up, follow me, and I'll continue to make you perfect. I'll continue to grow you. I will continue to lead you. Peter understood this. He had spent time with Jesus. He gathered knowledge from Jesus, and he understood it in his heart. And so that's why when he sinned, he had the right response to sin, which is a broken heart. And guys, I encourage you, if you suffer from not having a broken heart when you sin, when you mess up, and it's just like, whatever, you know, well, it's just sin. I know this sounds weird, but I pray, ask Jesus to break your heart when you sin. Because without a broken heart, you're not really going to understand how much you truly need Jesus. And you need to think about how it hurts Jesus and how he died for you and the pain he went through. That needs to be in your heart. If it's not, I know it sounds weird, but ask Jesus to give you those feelings. Because when we start to grow, like sin's just normal, it's just a normal part of our life, it's just what we do, I sin, I ask for forgiveness, it's over. Like, ask Jesus to give you a heart that's soft, you know? Like, you know when you go to camp and you're just like, oh, overwhelmed and like crying about your sin or whatever? Because the music's playing? It's kind of hard to do that sometimes without, like, Phil Wickham's not going to come in your living room and play so you can cry about your sin. Like, it's so much more than that. I encourage you guys, ask the Lord, Jesus, make my heart soft so that when I sin, I realize how much it hurts you. I realize, Jesus, that my heart should be broken. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. Peter is visited by Jesus after Jesus has died. And he rises from the dead. He comes to Peter. Peter's out fishing on the beach. And he says, Peter, it's time for you to start following me again. I forgive you. Come, feed my sheep. I'm making you a shepherd. I'm calling you to be a disciple again. And guys, when we mess up, that's what Jesus says to us. He says, you're a disciple. You're loved. I love you. Come on, feed my sheep. I've called you all to be shepherds. And you all are. You're called. There's people in your life, friends at school, people, relatives. There's people in your world. Jesus has called you to shepherd over. He's called you to love people, to feed those sheep. You're a disciple. You're called when you mess up to pick up and follow Jesus. And so Peter's a great example. But now we have to look at Judas. Judas, remember how Peter was mournful of his sin. He, 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 he suffers over his sin. He He's broken for his sin. Well, Judas is also devastated by his sin. See, we we read in the Bible that Judas, when this happens, when he sees Jesus being crucified, I don't necessarily know if Judas was expecting Jesus to be killed. I think possibly Judas was hoping Jesus would just be arrested. But he sees Jesus now being crucified and killed, and he realizes, I've failed my best friend for a couple pieces of silver. I've betrayed him. What have I done? Jesus is hanging on a cross now and it's because of me. And he realizes his sin. And Judas does not choose forgiveness as Peter did. He chooses depression. He chooses to look at his sin and go, there's no way out of this. I've ruined my life. I've failed God. I've failed my friends. I've failed my family. There's nothing for me. I've destroyed everything. And Judas goes and he kills himself. He hangs himself. 
because he did not have an understanding of who Jesus Christ was. He spent three years with Jesus, and yet he did not understand who Jesus was, the forgiver, the redeemer. He didn't understand that Jesus died for him. Judas looked at Jesus on the cross and said, that's because of me. We need to look at Jesus on the cross and say, that's because of me. But we should not look at Jesus on the cross and say, that's because of me. There's nothing I can do about this. I don't know about you, but there's been times where I've sinned in my life, especially growing up at your guys' age where I thought, I can't get out of this. This sin is too big. I've messed things up too bad. I'm just too much of a sinner. And God had to speak to me and say, no, remember Peter. He messed up. He failed. Keep going forward. Don't be like Judas and give up. Don't be like Judas and go, there's nothing I can do about my sin. That's right. There's nothing you can do about your sin, but there's everything Jesus can do about your sin. He died for your sin. The only sin God can't forgive is the ultimate rejection of Jesus. That means dying without knowing Jesus. Everything else before that, like think of the worst sin possible that you can think of in your mind right now. Jesus died for that sin. He forgave that sin. And I know none of you want to sin. I know none of you, hopefully, are living a life where you're like, I can just sin and do whatever I want because Jesus will forgive me. That's not true following of Jesus. That's false Christianity. But if you are living and, and trying to follow Jesus and walking after Jesus, yes, you do mess up. I know you do. I know you sin. I know you mess up. I mess up. We all mess up. We all sin. We all fall. But Jesus says, I want to pick you back up. Now, guys, think of this. Jesus could and would have forgiven Judas. Think about that. We don't, I don't, I've never really thought about that until I started studying this passage. But Jesus could and would have forgiven Jesus, or Judas. Just because he betrayed Jesus did not mean that was the unforgivable sin. And Judas could have been the ultimate example of what it means to be a forgiven life by Jesus Christ. Think about it. The betrayer of Jesus, what if he would have repented and said, I'm so sorry, I've messed up. Jesus, please forgive me. He would have. And Judas would have been restored. And he would have gone on to serve and he would have gone on to witness and tell people about Jesus. And it, I mean, think about it. I think the disciples would have forgiven him. Even though they hated him for betraying Jesus, the disciples, I think, realized they all betrayed him. They forsook him. They ran away. Peter denied him. I believe they would have forgiven Judas. Look at Paul, the apostle Paul. He was a Christian killer. He was a murderer of Christians. And yet, when he gave his life to Jesus, the disciples welcomed him to replace Judas. If Judas would have accepted Jesus' forgiveness. God could have used him as the ultimate example of forgiveness. But instead, he chose to rebel. He chose to just give up. He chose to believe the lies of Satan. Judas kissed the door to heaven, but he went to hell. Think about that. Jesus is the door. Judas kissed that door. He was so close to the door, and yet he never opened it. And there's kids like that who come to church and they sit in church, but they never fully accept Jesus into their heart. They never fully say, I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I'm going to take him into my life. Instead, they just come and they hang out with Christians, and, you know, but then they go home and they have their whole other life, and they don't walk with the Lord. Don't be like Judas. You're going to make mistakes. Walking with the Lord doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. If that's what's holding you back, like, I can't follow Jesus because I'm not perfect. Look at the other disciples. Read the Gospels, I dare you, and look at all the failures. Jesus uses failures every day. It's not about how perfect you are. It's about how perfect he is. The last thing I want to say to you guys, the main point, is I want you guys to understand what redemption is. Because Jesus died so that you could be redeemed. What redemption means is, first of all, you were purchased for a price. Jesus purchased you from Satan. The price was his blood. He died for you. He purchased you. Redeeming, redemption means you were rescued. You were rescued from the punishment you deserved. You were supposed to die. I was supposed to die for our sins. We were supposed to die for our sins and receive eternal punishment in hell. Jesus rescued us from that punishment. And finally, redemption means deliverance. Like when you deliver a package, Jesus snatched us out of the hands of the devil and he's delivering us to God, to heaven. I want you guys to understand what redemption means because Peter understood what redemption means and Judas did not. Don't be a prisoner to your past. Don't let the sins of your past hold you back. Don't let the failures 
not so much even sins, but just the failure to trust God, the failure to have a devotional life, the failure to walk with God. Don't let the things in your past keep you from the future God has from you. Be like Peter. Realize your mistakes. And realize there's nothing you can do to separate yourself from your, his love. You're his children. He bought you. He's redeemed you. You're in his hands. No one can take you out. Learn from Judas if you don't deal with your sin. If you don't at least go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need to confess this to you. I need your help. At the very least, it'll destroy you. It'll be like a fire that'll burn you from the inside and you'll be like Judas. That wall will be built in your heart and you won't be able to hear the Holy Spirit. Remember that no failure is beyond the redemption. Jesus has a plan for you. The last thing I'll say, I know I've said that a hundred times, but this really is the last thing I'll say. You're going to fall. You're going to mess up. I say this all the time to you, but it's important, so I'll keep repeating it because I want you to grow up with this knowledge. I want you to go into high school ministry with this knowledge. I want you to go into college. I want you to go into the adult church with the knowledge that you will fall. You will make mistakes, but Jesus is always there to pick you back up and say, let's keep moving forward. So remember, be like Peter. You will fall. You will mess up, but he's always there to pick you back up when you sink. Don't be like Judas. Don't give up when you fail. All right? So let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you for these kids. I just pray, Lord, that you bless them. I pray that you'd be with them. I pray, God, they'd know you in just a deep, deep way. And I pray that they wouldn't look around at other Christians and say, I, I can't follow you, Jesus, because I could never be as holy as them. But I pray they just realize they're on a path that you've set out for them, God. I pray that they keep moving forward on that path. I pray they wouldn't let the sins of the past hold them back. I pray that they wouldn't let just the discouragements of the past hold them back, but that they'd realize that you, all, you have a future for every single one of these kids. I just pray you keep moving them forward, Lord. Help them to continue to grow into the people that you've made them to be. And I pray, God, you'd use them in mighty ways this year. I pray, God, that you would just get into their hearts and light them on fire. Help them to know your power and your redemption. We love you, Lord, and we, we thank you that, like Peter, you love us so much. You forgive us, Lord, and I just pray that we would look at Judas as an example of how not to respond to our failure, that when we, when we fail, we wouldn't just sink down in the mud and stay there, but that we'd let you lift us up, Lord. We love you, Jesus, and I just pray that you bless all these kids today. Give them a week, Lord, and just speak to them this week. Fill their hearts with you this week. I pray that they would find time in their busy weeks, Lord, to spend with you and just receive from you just love and peace. God, meet them. Where, meet them where they are, Jesus. Come to them and spend time with them and speak to them in just your still small voice. In your name, amen.